0: Bombshell is a scalding and powerful movie about what selling in America has become. The film is about selling sex, selling a candidate, selling yourself, selling the truth. That's Owen Gleiberman of Variety. Also, Joe Morgenstern of Wall Street Journal adds, a movie with a compelling story to tell turned into a blunt force polemic. We're reviewing Bombshell, along with Knives Out, big crowd-pleasing film, and also The Two Popes. Surprisingly, I think one of the best films of the year. Those movies coming up today on this latest edition of cinephile plus our special guest, Michael Bowie, who is in the movie Bombshell and a fellow Canadian, a Mount Rushmore of Who Done It in honor of Who's, uh, uh, excuse me, in honor of Knives Out. And we're also going to do Total Recall, the 2008 Oscars. That's a 2007 year, a great year, of course. There will be blood, no country for old men among the movies of that time. So obviously that's a good one here for Total Recall. And as always, Please let us know what you like about Cinefot, what you'd like to keep, what you'd like to improve. Uh, I think there's been a lot of positive buzz around uh, Total Recall. People seem to be enjoying that. So uh, let us know if you want us to continue that. Also, we have this one here, one-word title from Doc Lou, Iowa. We did that recently on the Mount Rushmore. He put in Gandhi, and he put Sling Blade, which is actually two words. He put it as one. But listen, I love Sling Blade, but it's not a one-word title. Gandhi, sure, that's acceptable. I uh, got this from Kevin D. 713 Oh, actually, sorry. The Bad Guy, 127. I love this podcast. It's fun, light, informative, entertaining. Always great movie reviews. I keep a running list of cinephile movies to watch. Love's Mahler. My favorite thing on ESPN would be when Adnan would co-host on Ryan Russillo's show. ESPN should have done whatever it took to keep that alive. Our Lost. Love the movie reviews. The Bada Binge. And Mount Rushmore. Speaking of, I would include Catch 22 in movies based on novels. One of the rare movies that's as good as the hilarious book. Maybe that could be a Mount Rushmore. Movies as good as the books they're based on. Okay, we'll file that away. Maybe Joe and I can uh, knock that out at some point. And one more from Kevin D713. This guy's great. He was always one of ESPN's brightest, should have been more featured. He's great at sports, even better reviewing movies. Format is concise and moves at a perfect pace. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Just be aware of some far left BS, but whatever. Well, I didn't realize I was uh, that political on the podcast, but yeah, vote for Bernie. Uh, speaking of political, <laughs> let's get right to it and talk about Bombshell, because you know what? Maybe my far left BS will uh, enter into my review of this, because I don't care for Megan Kelly. And as much as the movie I thought was a good film and an important film, and it's the first film really of the Me Too movement. This is about women who are being sexually harassed and victimized by an absolute monster, A despicable person in roger ailes who was uh, so critical to fox and fox news's development played by john lithgow in a hilarious fat suit on the last podcast i talked about john c Riley in a fat suit in stan and ollie let me tell you something john lithgow goes with the massive fat suit in this one he's just swallowed up in prosthetics just this disgusting human form at one point he says i wasn't always ugly and fat as he tries to uh basically say that some of these women are turned on by him which is of course a joke but I don't like Megan Kelly so while watching this movie and I do think it's a good movie I think particularly it's got excellent performances Charlize Theron playing Megan Kelly Nicole Kidman as Gretchen Carlson and Margot Robbie is terrific as Kayla Papasil. that is a fictional character a woman who wants to be on air and is working at Fox News and ends up being victimized by Roger Ailes but the movie is clearly um sympathetic towards megan kelly's plight and all i keep thinking about as i'm watching the movie is like yeah megan kelly the same woman who nbc gave 30 million dollars and say hey what's the deal with blackface i mean what's what's wrong with that and since then her career is non-existent so there were times when i'm watching the movie and it's clearly stacked to her side and it's portraying her as this you know wonderful person this idealized version of megan kelly and i get that i mean listen you don't have to have a a warts and all approach Uh, Unlike a movie, Honey Boy, which I can't wait to talk about next week on the podcast, where Shia LaBeouf really, I mean, it's a vanity free, man. He really is going after it. You know, this Megan Kelly is shown to be a hardworking, intelligent woman who has risen up through the ranks, who had a previous episode with Roger Ailes, which she's never spoken about and has tried to overcome. And, uh, you know, she's viewed as, as deeply sympathetic. And I'm certainly deeply sympathetic to what she went through as a woman in this industry. And I can certainly appreciate Charlize Theron's transformation. I mean, she did something with her cheeks and her face. I mean, it's 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 eerie how much she looks like her, and the voice in particular. She really gets that like husky tenor voice of Megan Kelly. Like, apparently at one point she damaged her vocal cords because she's been imitating that voice and couldn't speak for a week or two, which is crazy. Um, But she really does transform into the role. But I just think Megan Kelly's a person. I'm watching. I'm like, well, this isn't who you are. Like, this isn't a fair representation of you. So that was just. Something that, I hey, listen, as, as moviegoers, we all bring something to the table. You know, that, that one reviewer said he loved uh, Gandhi. Okay, well, listen, whatever you know about Gandhi going into the movie may shape your perceptions of the film. So in this case, my view of Baker Kelly isn't as strong as we would like her to be. But all in on Gretchen Carlson, Nicole Kidman, she's the character who ends up being the whistleblower. And whenever there is a, a story of controversy or something that needs to be done, I'm always just so deeply... Deeply impressed by the heroism of the person who blows the whistle. You know, that's why I love the insider so much. You know, Russell Crowe's the one who blows the whistle on, on Big Tobacco and ends up suffering for it. You know, Nicole Kidman's character, Gretchen Carlson, of course, a very famous anchor. Um, you know, she's the one who blows the whistle on Roger Ailes. And at the time, it's like, listen, this isn't going to work. You know, he's it's systemic. It's deep rooted uh, white male privilege uh this is just the way it is like he's been getting sexual favors from women for years there's nothing you can do about it people aren't going to believe you uh fox news has a lot of money they're going to sue you they're going to say that uh you know you're only doing this because you were fired and now you're bitter and you're playing the victim and like there's so much just disgusting vitriol you have to overcome but she's speaking the truth and um you know i think as a character it's it's an important character to render and i thought nicole kidman was very good in the role And then I mentioned Margot Robbie. I mean, this is a fictionalized character of probably so many women there at Fox News. And let's be clear, at other news organizations as well. I'm sure it's MSNBC or CNN or, you know, whatever political uh, department there is. There's been instances of this happening. Look at Matt Lauer on NBC, for God's sakes. You know, there's these men who've been preying upon women. And Margot Robbie's character is really good because I think she's the one who's kind of a window to the soul for the audience. You know, she's this naive character who is a you know a devout Republican, devout Christian. She just believes in Fox News and what Fox News stands for until the day that she meets Roger Ailes and, you know, shows an uh, um an inkling towards being on air and then sees Roger just completely be disgusting and you know insinuate and more than insinuate what he's looking for in order to get her that job. It's a great cast all around. You got Malcolm McDowell playing Rupert Murdoch, Schindler, Kate McKinnon, who has had a pretty good year. I thought she was really uh you know, Uh, strong and long shot, although I gave a mixed review of the film, but she's really good here, playing a rare Democrat lesbian who actually works at Fox News. So talk about turning that one on your head. Connie Britton plays Beth Ailes. Uh, You got Stephen Root as Neil Mullen, really strong cast across the board. directed by Jay Roach, who at one point when Charlize Theron was putting together the picture, he said, listen, maybe you want to have a woman do this. I mean, this is about the Me Too movement and the story of women bringing down men who have exploited them. And Charlize Theron said, Listen, we thought about that, but we think you're the best guy for all this. You're a good director. It's funny, if you're a fan of comedies, you remember the name Jay Roach, you think of Austin Powers. Now he's kind of shifted. Uh, you know, he did recount and, and other stuff like that. But overall, I'm going to give Bombshell Three Maple Leafs. I think it's an important movie. I'm glad the film was made. I'm recommending it primarily for those trio of female performances theron is up for a sag award for best actress kidman and robbie both nominated for best supporting actress at the sag so all three could get oscar nominations i just didn't think the film was necessarily accurate what was happening but in fairness to that the movie's not a documentary you're telling a certain point of, of view and um ultimately i think it's um i think it's gonna do well this this award season and at the box office joe your thoughts on bombshell fox news roger Ailes? whatever you got
1: It seems like an important movie to come out now. Do you think John Lithgow will get a nomination for his role as Roger Ailes?
0: No, it's interesting. You know, he's playing this just reptilian character who is just, a, you know, filthy animal and he's definitely having it up and maybe having a good time being the role. But I don't think so. I, I thought about it when I was watching because I said, listen, Hollywood does love to reward their villains, you know, whether it's, you know, Denzel in training day or Heath Ledger playing Joker. But no, I, I haven't heard enough buzz. Supporting actors is just so loaded. Like it's crazy when you look at the nominees right now because I think it's going to be Pacino and Pesci. I think it's Hanks for Wonderful Day on I think Pitt right now, as Chris Beecham told us. Thanks again to Chris. Gold Derby. Check him out. Great guy. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's four nominees. And the fifth one is going to be either Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes or Jimmy Fox for Just Mercy. So, like, you got six there. Shia LaBeouf, I thought was great in Honey Boy. He might be number seven. So, Lithgow will probably be like eight or nine or ten at this point. So, I think he's just going to get squeezed out, unfortunately, for him.
1: Yeah, that... You're listing all those actors, and I'm, I'm just trying to think if any he could squeeze out any of those. But yeah, I don't think I don't think it'll happen. No, I think it's going to happen this year.
0: We move on though to Knives Out, which is one of the most entertaining films of the year, and it's certainly a movie that uh, did great at the box office. Here's the synopsis: If you're a fan of Agatha Christie novels, you'll love it. Renowned crime novelist Harlan Thrombey. How about that name, Harlan Thrombey? Dying just after his 85th birthday. The inquisitive and debonair detective Benoit Blanc arrives at his estate to investigate. From Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, Blanc sifts through a whiff, uh, web, excuse me, of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Thromby's untimely demise. Daniel Craig plays Benoit Blanc, who gives a, a great introduction to the character. Ryan Johnson's the guy who wrote and directed. Uh, you might know his work, probably from Star Wars or uh, from Brick, going way back. And listen, if it's if you love whodunits, if you love movies like Clue and such, then you're going to love this movie. It's not my preferred genre per se, but I did think it was an entertaining movie. I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. It's just a good time at the theater. It's obviously a big box office, as I mentioned. And it's got a huge cast. Daniel Craig is the inspector. The key character is actually the... Relatively anonymous, Anna de Armas, who did get nominated for a Golden Globe nomination for Supporting Actress. She's playing Marta Cabrera. Of course, I think of Marta, I think of Arrested Development, but that's another story. Chris Evans plays Ransom Drysdale. How about these names? Jamie Lee Curtis. Michael Shannon, I love. Michael Shannon's phenomenal movie. He's always great. He's great in the movie. Don Johnson's excellent. Tony Collette, you got Lakeith Stanfield. Christopher Plummer is playing the patriarch who dies uh Catherine Langford and many, many others. So it's always tricky when you have a big cast like this, it can be a little bit unwieldy because you always feel like you want to give each actor their scenes. So you know we gotta get a couple scenes for Michael Shannon, okay, a couple scenes for Don Johnson, a couple scenes for Jamie Lee Curtis. And each character is being interrogated and investigated whether or not they're responsible for the death of the patriarch Harlan Thromby played by Christopher Plummer. So I thought Ryan Johnson did a good job of juggling um all those different actors and their parts. Uh it did waver a little bit at times for me. Uh, but I did think the ending was pretty strong. I mean, he's with these whodunits, you know, it's got to be the great ending, right? Hey, listen, you got the premise, who did it, but then you got to end up telling me who did do it, and the way he wraps it up together, I thought was really clever. Uh, I definitely did not see it coming. It was awfully unpredictable. Maybe it was a little too cute for its own good. I could see that being a criticism, but that's why I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. In terms of Oscar talk, I could see Ryan Johnson getting nominated for screenplay because it definitely is clever, and I think a real throwback to um, those kind of movies like Clue and others like that. Uh, as Johnny Ole- o- o- Oleksinski said of the New York Post, the Who whodunit Knives Out is an A-list turned slay-list party starring Daniel Craig, Tony Collette, Chris Evans, and Jamie Lee Curtis. It's fun to watch super serious actors get to misbehave. Paul Assay of Plugged In says Knives Out layers in a bit more content than your typical Agatha Christie story. Joe, any interest in seeing Knives Out, which I'm giving a good review?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to see this movie. Um, I love a Who Done It, and but I'm glad you liked it. So this just reaffirms it for me.
0: Absolutely. And the next one we're going to talk about, by the way, Mount Rushmore is going to be the Mount Rushmore of It. So lots of good choices there. Um, and speaking of good choices, I was just pleasantly surprised with The Two Popes. That's the next film we're going to review right now. It stars Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins. And it is an unexpected surprise um, because I just think that stories like this about religion and spirituality, you know, you don't necessarily expect them to be this entertaining. You know, if you hear religious movie or popes you go ah, i don't know this could be a bit of a drag this might be a kind of a grinding film like, no no. actually it's really light it has a deft touch and for that you can create the director fernando morales uh famous name of course city of god one of the great films of the last 20 years and anthony mccarton whose work i don't know but he wrote the screenplay he got nominated for a golden globe for best screenplay so he might be getting an oscar nomination as well here's the story of the two popes Frustrated with the direction of the church, Cardinal Bergoglio, played by Jonathan Price, requests permission to retire in 2012 from Pope Benedict, Anthony Hopkins. Instead, facing scandal and self-doubt, the introspective Pope Benedict summons his harshest critic and future successor to Rome to reveal a secret that would shake the foundations of the Catholic Church. Behind Vatican walls, a struggle commences between both tradition and progress, guilt and forgiveness, as these two very different men confront their past in order to find common ground and forge a future for a billion followers around the world first and foremost it's an actor showcase it's a real two-hander here between jonathan price and anthony hopkins hopkins as i mentioned got nominated for a golden globe for supporting actor it missed out on a sag nomination Mike get Oscar nomination but he's really good as pope benedict who is recalcitrant and uh, very much set in his ways uh he believes in what the catholic church has ordained for centuries and does not feel any reason to deviate and then he is matched wits by jonathan price who's wonderful as pope francis um uh, excuse me, as, uh, yeah, Paul Francis, the Cardinal Bergoglio, because, you know, his character is the one who is more about modernity and uh, accepting change. And there's a really good early scene between the two of them in which, you know, each person's viewpoint is correct. You know, when Hopkins is, is telling Price, goes, you know, what about your views on gay marriage? And Jonathan Price is is kind of referring to the fact that, you know, I believe the church has to evolve and fit with the times. And there's too many people who have been cast out or cast aside. You must have mercy and compassion. And you go, like, okay, that makes sense. And then Hopkins points okay, like, yeah, but this is what the church's doctrine is. This is what's it been ordained by God for centuries. So why are you now changing it? Why are you bending the rules? And I mean, it's a a credit to the script that whenever you're watching a movie in which two people have completely opposing viewpoints and divergent opinions, you can see both sides. They go, yeah, I see that guy's point of view. I see that guy's point of view. And they can still be, you know, deeply religious, deeply spiritual men uh, also, you know, following God's orders and following what they believe is in their heart. And if that sounds stale, it certainly isn't because you get the first 20 minutes of each guy's opposing doctrine. But then the script goes back heavily into flashback, which I was not expecting. And it goes back to Bergoglio's journey to get to where he is and the fact that he's harboring some guilt. And that, what I thought was the strongest part of the film, because you look at spiritual leaders and you think that, you know, they're without sin because they're just, you know, you, you view them as a way that they're exonerated from that or exempt from that or just above that. But of course, everybody's human, everybody has flaws. And um, the way that uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, you know, ends up, Admitting what has happened in his past, the way he tells Hopkins and asks for penance. I mean, it's a real acting showcase for both these guys. And when I saw the SAG nominations, I was appalled that De Niro was snubbed for The Irishman. And I said, okay, I know the three locks are Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and Leo for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Four or five are Price for Two Popes. And Christian Bale for Ford versus Ferrari. Now that I've seen all of them, I have no issue at all with all of Jonathan Price's nomination. He is well worthy of the nomination. And I hope he gets nominated for best actor. He's a good actor for a long time. Guy I loved him in uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, of course, <laughs> playing James Link. Uh, he was in The Wife, playing second fiddle to Glenn Close, which almost won her an Oscar. And now I think De Niro should have been nominated at a Bale. Now that I've seen Ford versus Ferrari, I think that's the nomination. They go, come on, I roll my eyes at that one. But bottom line is, Two Popes is a smart film. As I said, it deals with so-called heavy themes, but a real light touch. And for that, of course, is Morellis. He's such a good director, and I'm sure a lot of you remember City of God, what a great film that was. This is completely different in tone, but you're looking at, at spiritual men and it puts them on a humanistic level. I think too often religious movies are ignored or are not seen by many. My old buddy, Danny Cannell, who's a devout Christian would always tell me, because you know, they make these Christian movies And he goes, they do good box office. Kirk Cameron stars in a lot of them. And he goes, and then critics just hate them. And Daddy would laugh at me. He's like, you know, it's all these critics. They're all like, you know, they don't believe in God. They're a bunch of atheists. They always slam the movie. Because meantime, there's a big audience for these types of films. So I hope The Two Popes finds an audience. Uh, It was really smart, really well done. And I'm going to actually have it in my top 10, I think. We're going to do our top 10 list. Uh, probably in a couple weeks, the first uh, podcast to Cinephile of January. But I think The Two Popes, I'll find a way to get it in there because it really is a dramatic film, and it's got some humor as well. As Anne Hornaday says at The Washington Post, when Benedict and Francis are going at it quietly with respect and scholarly restraint, The Two Popes is sheer bliss. Joe Morganster of The Wall Street Journal says the film is a dramatic and visual feast, one that portrays its adversaries as passionate humans and Tara McNamara of Common Sense Media says, if you're going to make a movie about what's holy, it had better be outstanding. And this drama rises to the occasion. I'm giving The Two Popes three and a half maple leaves, and I'm pretty sure going to have it one of my top 10 films of the year. All right, before we get to our special guest, Michael Bowie of uh, Bombshell, some entertainment news. <laughs> this is classic. I mean, for those who listen to the GM Shuffle, they know how obsessed Michael Lombardi and I are with The Sopranos. This to me is like Tony meeting with, you know, Frank Leotardo here, the great great Frank Vincent, we have Martin Scorsese, my hero, who is obviously very critical of the Marvel Universe, and now they're going to have a sit-down. That's right, just look at this surprise. We're going to have a sit with Bob Iger, Disney CEO. This is tremendous. One of the most explosive statements regarding the Marvel Cinematic Universe occurred when director Martin Scorsese claimed the superhero film franchise was not true cinema. His statement was considered controversial by not just fans of the superhero genre, but also those actually working in the industry. As you can imagine, this includes Disney CEO Bob Iger. So Bob Iger is arranging a meeting between Marty and himself. Information was revealed when Time Magazine claimed that Iger was businessman of the year. The magazine claimed that his people and Marty's people are arranging a get-together. While it's unclear what exactly the two would potentially discuss, it'll no doubt have to do with the current state of filmmaking cinema and whether or not these films are actually cinema. Of course, two already have very different viewpoints and ideas when it comes to what makes a cinema, but it could be an interesting conversation. And perhaps this will finally wrap up the massive debacle regarding Scorsese and his statements against the Marvel Cinematic Universe. After all, the hype from his statements have to die down sometime. It'll be nice to see if we get some conclusion here. What is going to come of this, Joe? What do you think? Marty and Bob are going to talk? Marty's going to go, listen, I hate these movies. They stink. And Bob Iger's going to go, no, no, they're great movies. They make a lot of money. They go, okay, well, we agree to
1: disagree. Nice meeting you. I think Bob Iger is going to pitch Martin Scorsese to direct a Marvel <laughs> superhero movie. <laughs> Something about like the Hulk being isolated in New York City or something like that. But it'll be great. Right. He's going to say,
0: listen, you know what Todd Phillips did? You know, he just did Joker, which just ripped off Taxi Driver and uh, King of Comedy. So, Marty, why don't you do that? Why don't you do like a raging bull for like a Marvel movie? Just like a, a bull of a boxer who becomes a bull. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. We can get some cinematic ideas here. We can find some comics. You must have like com- <laughs> No, I don't like any comics. Marty, there must have been a comic as a kid. I hated comics. I watch movies all the time. That's it. Okay. All right. Fine. Moving on. Christmas is here. My girl, Mariah Carey, the ultimate Christmas song. All I want for Christmas has reached the top spot in the Billboard Hot 100 chart for the first time. Hang on a second. This is the greatest Christmas movie ever. It's finally hit number one for the first time. The song came out 25 Christmases ago. The thanks to the power of music, nostalgia, and fabulousness. All I want for Christmas making a stunning comeback. Number one film. The last holiday song to reach number one was the Chipmunks song by the Chipmunks in 1958. Mariah Carey's 19th number one, putting her even closer to the Beatles record of 20. Third place is Rihanna with 14. Carey's previous number ones include Vision of Love, Always Be My Baby, I Still Believe, and the former record holder for most weeks at number one, One Sweet Day, which got taken down by Old Town Road, which is just brutal. I mean, how, how garbage is that? 1998, Mariah released a compilation album called Number Ones that was just her 13 number ones. All I Want for Christmas, Staying on the charts into 2020, if it does so, a few more weeks, She'll be the first artist to have a number one song in four different decades. I know everyone loves Queen Bee, Joe, but all hail Mariah. She's the queen.
1: Oh, man, who would have thought? I had no idea that she was even close to the Beatles record there. But I understand why. People love this song. You go to the Macy's in Herald Square, you hear that song playing 24-7.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about the enduring appeal of that song, which I believe, I've read the story. It took like an hour. Literally, she sat down at a piano, you know, (laughs) jotting on a few lyrics. Here we go. We got gold. And one last somber note before we get to our guest, the great Danny Aiello. Boycott Sal's. Boycott Sal's. Yo, Sal, put some extra cheese in that mozzarella. Extra cheese is $2. Sal, how can we get no brothers up on the wall? You want brothers? You, You go get your own place. This is Italian Americans only. Danny Aiello, the actor from Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and Norman Jewison's Moonstruck, passing away on Thursday night after a reported sudden illness, 86 years of age. Landed his first movie gig in the 1970s, small role opposite Bob De Niro in Bang the Drum slowly. He appeared as Tony Rosato in The Godfather Part II the Rosato Brothers. Michael Corleone says hello. His famous line from that acclaimed film, that's right. Continued acting in various films and TV shows. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America, again with De Niro, Purple Rose of Cairo with Mia Farrow, Moonstruck, Opposite Cher, Jacob's Ladder, my boy J. Nats, one of his favorite movies, Opposite Tim Robbins, and The Professional, Jean Reno and Natalie Portman. I loved him in a film called 29th Street. Every year, people do their favorite Christmas movies. The movie that nobody talks about is 29th Street, and Jeffrey Lyons, father of Ben Lyons, my good buddy, a noted film critic. Jeffrey, I still remember I had the VHS cassette and it said 29th Street and it said, it's a cross between Goodfellas and it's a wonderful life. If you've never seen 29th Street, go look it up. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful film. Anthony LaPaglia is the star, plays a guy named Frank Pesh, who's always got all the luck in the world. He buys a lottery ticket, ends up winning the lottery and then all hell breaks loose. Danny Aiello plays his dad, uh, tremendous movie. That's a perfect blur by Jeffrey Lyons. It is a cross between Goodfellas and It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. all received one Golden Globe nomination, one Oscar nomination in his career, both for a supporting role in Do the Right Thing as pizza shop owner Sal. It's a remarkable performance. Originally, Robert De Niro was offered the role by Spike Lee, but Spike said, or Bob said, i played too many roles, kind of like it. I think it'd be repetitive for me. I'll pass instead. ILO does it. You can't picture anybody else in the role. He's got a perfect combination of this, you know, paternal behavior, the way he views Mookie. You know, he's kind of like the, the father of all of these kids on the street. You know, as he says, he goes, you know, I feed them pizza. I make them pizza. This is what they're growing up on is my pizza. But then he's just pushed to the brink by bugging out, drops the racial slurs. I mean, he kills the boom box, gets his store burnt down. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. And, uh, Aiello plays the role with just with so much passion. I mean, it's just it's a great, great film. Michael K, uh, the sports caster, voice of the Yankees, yes, network. Michael K, that's actually his uncle, Danny Aiello. So uh, I didn't know that until I met Michael a few years ago, and uh, obviously offer our condolences to Michael and the entire family with uh, Danny's passing. But do the right thing, Joe. I mean, it's it's tough to think of anybody else but Danny Aiello in that role.
1: Classic movie, it's the, and he'll he'll be missed for sure. He was one of the good ones. Yeah, 86.
0: Rest in peace. Now it's time for a special guest.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco
2: for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: A real pleasure to welcome in Michael Buick. How about this? An actor, a hockey player, a Canadian living in Los Angeles. That is that is music to my ears, okay? Michael is in Bombshell, the new film which we reviewed earlier, and a film which is getting a lot of buzz. Big news for Bombshell, not only the fact that the three actors all got nominated, but also Best SAG Ensemble. So when Best Ensemble, the equivalent of Best Picture here at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, that's great news for Michael and the entire crew Michael, first and foremost, thank you for reaching out to me and uh, coming on Cinephile this week. A pleasure to chat.
2: No worries. You uh, you seem to collide with my life plenty. I'm a, I'm a cinephile, and I'm a, a sports nut and a hockey nut. So uh, somehow you're, you're in my way all the time, and uh, I enjoy listening to your uh, to your work.
0: Uh, thanks so much, man. Let's talk first about Bombshell. Kudos and a terrific movie. I mean, listen, you're part of a film which is nominated for Best Ensemble at the Sags um listen it's it's of the moment it's the first film of the me too movement it is very powerful it's heartbreaking to think what these women went through the victimization that roger ailes did uh what was your experience playing brett bear in the movie of course uh, an actor we all know and just what was your research like for the movie
2: well for brett bear um he has an odd he has an odd accent um and so i I just tried to work on that uh you and i uh i i talked to you quickly about this is uh Toronto Rocks. There was a uh, there was a, a BJ on Toronto Rocks named John Ro- John Roberts. He's now J.D. Roberts used to
0: be known as. But, yeah.
2: Yes, he was J.D. Roberts. And, you know, he played you your Duran Duran video and then your Def Leppard video and, and whatnot. But it, Brett Barrow throws it to him at the end of his thing. So he'd go, thank you, John. And, and it was all, it, that was my cue. That was my, my cue into his voice every time. And, you know, I'm I'm sporadically throughout the film, and so I'm just trying to nail my lines with anything that's got to do with Brett Bear as best I can. And I'm sitting beside Charlize Theron, who's absolutely perfect as Megan Kelly. So there was a lot of pressure in that.
0: Yeah, she. Uh, I read Michael. She she damaged her vocal cords at one point because she's got to get that husky voice of Megan Kelly. And obviously, you know, the prosthetics and the makeup. I mean, she's a dead ringer for. Her. I mean, just I thought all the performances—her yeah. and Nicole Kidman and Margot Robbie—all three were sensational.
2: I thought so too, and I mean it's their film. It is, um, you know, as far as as the, uh, it, it, it's their film, and it, I, I think for me, I think Margot Robbie is the critical character of that film. I, I think she's the most important. Um, I, I love, I loved what she did, and honestly, I, I think she'll get she'll get a best actress, uh, best supporting actress nomination, and I hope she wins it for our film. But she's, I just think she's spectacular in the film. Everything. There's a scene there with Joan Liskow that is that I just think is 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 exactly what this film is about, and and you know I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's it's uh, I just think it's perfect.
0: No, and you're right because her character is the one the audience can most identify with, right? She's she wants to be on TV. She's young. She's impressionable. She's idealistic, and then it completely gets shattered. And she's an
2: amalgamation. In talking with Jay Roach and, and Charlize about it, 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 she was an amalgamation of a lot of uh, tr- real people. Um, a lot of real people that still have their names signed to NDAs with Fox News. And so a lot of people can't tell their story. And she's able... She's the amalgamation and the the ability for Jay and Charlize to tell this story. This man, Charles, Charles Randolph, who wrote a great script, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I thought... Listen, from my perspective, it was just so special to be a part of. Uh, First of all, I I think it's an important film, and we don't seem to have enough of those anymore. I want to see our great storytellers telling the important stories of today. Um, I love being a part of that. And then from an acting perspective, I've just dropped into this dream cast that I could only fathom in my dreams. It was just a phenomenal group of people to work with, so kind. Uh, Jay Roach and I had worked before. Um, Jay Jay directed uh, a hockey movie twenty years ago, and brought me back along to do this. So I was uh, grateful, and hopefully we do some more.
0: Yeah, we're talking to Michael Buick. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Buick. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-U-I-E You mentioned Mystery Alaska. Let's segue there. Our man Steve Levy. I mean, he's he thinks he should he should have been nominated yeah. for an Academy Award or at least a Golden Globe nomination. Well, Steve
2: was terrific in the film. I mean. He was so excellent as Steve Levy playing himself. And that's so much more difficult than people realize. And uh, no. <laughs> I met Steve, I think at the premiere of, of mystery in New York city and, uh, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, yeah, it was, for us, history was a lot of Canadians. I know you're a Canadian kid too. Um, yeah, you know, I grew I grew up, and all of a sudden, I'm doing a hockey movie where they zambonied the lake in the Rocky Mountains every day. We shot six days a week, and it was one of those ones where you know maybe a year older. Some of the some of the Hollywood actors that came in were, were like, oh, six days a week, what? Practicing today, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're shooting again. We're, they're going to Zamboni the lake. And then we had Sunday off. And, of course, Sunday, all of our family and friends were all in our mid-20s. And they're, hey, can I come out and play? And that that was the cast and crew game. So I was playing seven days a week, playing hockey on the Zamboni Lake. It was it was just a dream. You, I knew it at the time. And then when you look back at it 20 years later, you just go, yeah. Yeah, that was a dream. That was just a fantastic experience. Those are all many of those guys are still all my best friends. Scott Grimes is one of my best friends. Kevin Durand, uh, who played Tree is one of my best friends. Russell Crowe and I are still really close. And uh, you know, it's 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 um it, it was a magical time in a magical film.
0: Yeah, I think it's amazing as you had dm me and you just said, the fact that you've remained tight friends to this day, which you know it doesn't happen all that off in the movie industry. Tell me a little more about Russell Crowe. What's he like?
2: So Russ is cr- great. I mean, we've, we've been really close friends. Um, since then we did another film, um, about 10 years ago called the next three days, which was a Paul Haggis film with uh, Elizabeth Banks where he's breaking out of, out of jail and, and, uh, I play Russell's brother. Um, a lot of us have continued to work with him one way or the other. And, and the irony for bombshell and the loudest voice, which I thought, Russell Crowe was brilliant in The Loudest Voice, the Showtime series, um, was uh, I was with Russell the night before I booked Bombshell, and I thought for sure I got The Loudest Voice, because I had heard all about this television show that he was doing, and I was like, I- I'm a political nut as well, and, and that's why playing Brett Bear was a little odd, because I-, I have <laughs> followed him. Um, right. I'm not watching Fox as much as him. The other network comes from California, <laughs> now. But it's... Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But and Brett and I have been in touch since as well, which is interesting. But um, oh yeah, what, he, what did, did you yeah, think of it, your performance? Also, well, he said he said it was good. He said it was good. We I, I said you've never looked so good. That, <laughs> that's what he asked right from the get go. So tell me what I do. I go well. There's a big scene where you're fighting a dragon. So be ready for that. Um, no, he seemed to like it, and I know we watch the Loudest Voice as well. Um, it must be interesting. From his perspective, both both knowing everything and not knowing everything that went on. I mean, that that was my take on Brett Bear. I didn't speak to him before we did the before I did the uh, the role. I I did I didn't think that'd be right. Um, um But afterwards, I knew I knew what I did, and I was you know we in bombshell. You saw the film. We we stay. It's truth. I mean, it, we're staying very close to the truth. There's, there's a storytelling aspect to it, but anything that is archived footage or anything that is spoken by, by an actor as a character, it really must be something that they would have said in that situation. It's, it's very, it's a delicate balance. Um, Jay Roach's, uh, worked with that delicate balance. He did recount and he did the Sarah Palin story game change. Um, so he's used to this, this world. Um, he also, uh, he also produced the Borat movies as well, which is, you know, <laughs> delicate as well. So he's, uh, he's, uh, he's had an interesting career, Jay Roach. I mean, from, you know, I think the hockey movie, uh, Mystery was his second film. He did Austin Powers first, and then he did Mystery Alaska, and then he did Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents, sorry, Meet the Parents after that. And then, uh, and then moved on to the political sphere, and, and, you know, I think he's, I really hope he attacks the, the Trump world next, and I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am in that.
0: Um, so we'll see. <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Michael, I'm sure you could nail that role, you'll be fine. Mm,
2: yeah, no, I think I could too, I think I could too. <laughs> Uh, don't, don't tell her <laughs> I was thinking more Spicer but it was I think it was after I saw the dancing
0: yeah I was gonna say Melissa McCarthy of Spicer is pretty good um, when we were DMing about other great movies this year I want to ask you about once upon a time in Hollywood because as an actor I thought your review was similar to what I said because you said it just kept growing yeah. and growing on me never had higher expectations for a film ticked every box for me and Robert Richardson's oh. work is genius he's the DP and as you told me you were working with a terrific DP at the time and you broke down some car shots early in the film and you learned some tricks what did you learn
2: well it was all over my head right now too but it it literally it was he was this dp was just went to see the film and then he went to see it the next night and he uh he's peter Fairley's dp um jb jb you not remember his last name right now it's killing me um but i was working with him uh, up in vancouver and he he uh I was trying to figure out the car shot, and then I figured it out. And Like I say, I'm like, okay, well, don't you just, you know, this is my, my perspective. Don't you just put a uh, camera on the back of a car? Uh, no, no, no. You have to do more than that. And I'm like, okay, all right. Um, but he's, uh, no, for me, I thought there were, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, so we were, we were just talking about our great films this year, and I was listening to you guys speak. Couple of things that came to me uh, from your conversation: Ray Romano, Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh yeah, two great comedians lending themselves to that film, not doing a comedic bit, but they, they, they have the same because they the, the the investment that they have in their comedy, they just put that into their acting, and it's the same thing. And, and I'm sure they're brought down slightly, but. I mean, Manny Spolka was great in Green Book last year too, and he's—I oh, he's yeah. I think he's wonderful. Um, uh, Catherine Narducci in in The Irishman, oh, just fantastic. But um, so back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, it just stuck with me. Um, Tarantino. I mean, it, you can—you can only go see a Tarantino for the first time once. You know what I mean? So you don't know what you're going to see. And you don't know, Like I think back to Pulp Fiction, a story I always think about is the Gimp. The Gimp in the end, you know, he's the guy that, that uh, is kept in the, in the box and he's all in leather and whatnot. In the end, and I hope I'm not ruining it for anybody who hasn't seen Pulp Fiction yet, but if you haven't, too bad. Um, but he's just, you know, he's drumming his fingers across the Gimp's head. And we're just terrified about what the Gimp is going to do. And the Gimp does nothing. He never does anything he gets punched as, as, as uh, Bruce Willis runs out the door. So for me, it's like these moments in Tarantino films where as I was walking into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, I loved Inglourious Bastards, one of my favorite films of, of Tarantino's. So I thought we were going to go down the Manson hole in a different way. I thought we were going to spin history on its head at the ranch. And I was waiting for that, the entire film. And then... They played with me that way. When, when, when Brad Pitt goes out there, um, they played with me that way where I'm going, oh, my God, no, Bruce Stern isn't going to end up Bruce Stern, but George isn't going to be alive. It, 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 we're going to find a dead body, and here we go. And then it doesn't happen. You know, he leaves, and, you know, it was trouble for him to leave and whatnot, but there were all these, these magical moments where I, I'm uh, I'm teased. And I love Tarantino for that. And, and, uh, as I sat and I guess living, I've lived now in, in Hollywood for 28 years. It, you know, I'm a Canadian kid who came down here and it's, it's become part of my soul. And I guess I didn't realize it as much as I did until I was watching that film. Um, it, it really, you know, every location, I I know that, I know that, I know that. And it just, it felt like an homage to Hollywood and I, I, from the actor's perspective, I've been that actor. I've been that actor kicking himself in the trailer more times than I care to admit. I've been the I've been the guy who's bungled the lines. But then you watch, like, the beauty of that scene, too, is, is Leonardo DiCaprio thinks he's so bad in that scene. I think he's brilliant in that scene, the, the scene as the actor, as the actor. I'm going to go, he's great in that, and then he's so mad at himself. He did a great job. And, and it's just, it's fascinating. And then in the with the little girl, I just, I, I, I loved, uh, this is all coming back to me as we're talking, but I, I did. I think it's sitting as my favorite film. Jojo Rabbit is right there, and so is Parasite. Um, Jojo Rabbit, I thought was a, I love originality. I love when there's something you've never seen before, and I thought Jojo Rabbit was something I've never seen before. Um, I thought it had a third act that was very gutsy, and it either works or it fails miserably, and for me, it worked. But it's a funny film because I'm not sure I'd recommend it to everybody. Um, it's not one that, like you say, the Irishman, you go, hey, you like Scorsese, you're going to love the Irishman. And yes, you will. And he does genius. He, he ups Scorsese's game in that. There are certain, I watched it again based on, based on you and I. And, uh, and there are just little things that he does in the Irishman that, that, uh, that he, he changes his game. But it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so for me, I guess it's I'm bouncing around a lot, but I guess those are my three: Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and and The Irishman, and of course, Bombshell.
0: Yeah, listen, Jojo Rabbit, I'm with you completely, Michael, just because the originality and all the performances, like Rockwell's terrific playing the Nazi, and Scarlett Johansson, the oh. doting mother, who's I mean, it's uh, th- you're right, it's a really tricky balance, it's very delicate what you're doing here, and yet they all pulled well, it off. You've-
2: uh, I'll just say it this way, when, Scar when Scarlett Johansson's shoes are on the screen the first time, and then the next time you see her shoes, that's yeah. that's the turn, right? And and you're just like, right. my God, is this film doing this to me now? I was laughing, right. I was laughing, I was laughing, I'm laughing. And you've opened me. I, I, I think some of the great films make you laugh really, really hard. And when they open you up like that, they can go into you um, sideways one of my favorite films. I think it's like, uh, just, uh, I love sideways. It makes me laugh. And then all of a sudden uh, anything that just is breaking my heart, breaks my heart more because they've opened me with my, with laughter. And Jojo rabbit did the same thing. It's a, it's obviously the subject matter when you're not laughing, you're just, this is, this is dark subject matter. We were back in that time and everything that's going on, obviously. And then when it, you know, when it does a bit of a turn that way, Wow, um, and powerful, and I guess I hadn't seen I did not seen anything quite like that, and that they, they get it gets big thumbs up for me. So it really is interesting. Scorsese at his absolute best. You know, I think it's a great year. I, I, I just do you know, Parasite, Bombshell, and 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 uh, Marriage Story. I, I think they're. Great, Honey Boy. I think Honey Boy is incredibly underrated. I think that's a terrific film. Dark Water, another we were talking about uh, important films. Like I think Bombshell is such an important film, and there aren't as many films being made like Dark Water or Bombshell because it's you're either making the superhero movie for a lot of money, or you're or you're really trying to make um, a tiny little indie. And and uh, I'm hoping Netflix this Netflix deal where they start to make films a little bit. It, it, with letting creators create, let them work. Uh, I uh, and and put a little bit of money behind them, just even a little bit more, because there's not that middle range anymore. And I think we're going to see some great stuff. Um, and hopefully, the theaters and Netflix uh, work out their differences with with that.
0: Um, I, but I I couldn't I agree do. with you more, man. You get these yeah. movies that are either two million dollars or, like you said, two hundred million dollars. What happened to yeah. you know Quiz Show? You know what happened to Million Dollar Baby? What happened to you know Manchester by the Sea was a rarity, right? Yeah. A thirteen million dollar movie, which is just oh. a great kitchen sink drama. It,
2: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And listen, um, you know, people had many opinions about Green Book last year, but Green Book was this. I, I had friends that, that made Green Book, and I'm friends with Peter Farrelly now too. But the the for me, Green Book, I mean, there's this left and this right in our Twitter sphere that we, that we deal with, but 80% of the people live in the middle. And it's flawed, it's an imperfect world, and we've got, and I think if we tell stories that are, we gotta realize they don't need to be in this 10%, 10%, that there's a lot in the middle that, that we need to explore, that we need to not be afraid to dig into. And, uh, and, you know, I think the funny thing about something like Green Book is, yeah, it, it was this tiny film. It was made for about 20 million bucks, but then they made $375 million. And it was, not a, it was about halfway there when it won the Oscar. So it already resonated with so many people beyond the left and the right. And, and uh, so there's, there's a space for these films. More need, need to be made. Um, like I say, you want marriage story. I want marriage story to be like what we used to do when we went to see ordinary people or Kramer versus Kramer, right? Like, not nobody goes to see it in the theater anymore. And that's, that's the saddest part in some ways. A, a theater experience, when you're just left, when you're sitting, and you know, that's when you're just sitting there in the, in the theater and even if it's a film like marriage story, which you say, oh, it doesn't, you don't have to see it on the big screen, which you don't, but you, but, it, if you're just trapped there, and I mean that in the best way, then it really is gonna go into your soul, and then you're going to see it, and you're really going to observe it instead of you know pausing it every fifteen minutes because the kid's crying in the background, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. There's no interruptions, which is why I thought Parasite was so brilliant. Because as you said, you know, movies oh. that are unexpected and unpredictable. Like I had no idea what was coming, Mike. I was like, holy smokes! Once you once she shows up and says, "I got to well, go down the basement." The beauty of
2: Parasite. <laughs> One of one of the beauties of Parasite is the fact that they don't let you had no idea even when this guy when the director came over and I can't even get his name right. Um, Bong Joon Ho and he was speaking about it. Yeah, that's it. And he was he was speaking about it. He said, I'm not going to tell you much about it. You go see it. You go see it. And it's like he's right. <laughs> like, it, it, we don't have enough of those anymore. Where like I mean, Parasite's a complete surprise. I mean, how do you describe that film to anybody? It's 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 fascinating. But yeah. I, I, I loved it. I loved it.
0: No, I was going to say, a new movie with Para- Peter Farrelly you just finished shooting, like you said, Farrelly, this is huge for him to win for, for, for Green Book and now you're working with him. Tell me about the movie and your part.
2: Well, the, the, it's a, it's, he has a television show that he does out of Vancouver that's with Ron Livingston and it is, it, you know, I, I should promote it, <laughs> it's such a hidden television show. It's on Direct TV's audience network and I don't think people get to it enough and it's this great show. It's called Louder Milk. Uh, uh, Ron Livingston plays a, uh, a recovering alcoholic who runs a group. Um, and my, my character in, in this third season is uh, I come and take over his group. I'm a, I'm a very angry, very dictatorial. Uh, I've just gotten out of prison for killing a couple of people in my group. It's a comedy, obviously. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I had, uh, I worked with both Peter and Bobby on this. Um, they, they each did different episodes and they, uh, it, it was, it, it was a dream to work with those guys and, uh, hopefully we do a lot more. Um, but they were, uh, they're very funny and Bobby and I knew each other through hockey, uh, for years. I didn't know Pete as well until, um, my friend Jim Burke introduced me, uh, uh last year, but, um, Bobby, Bobby's a great hockey goalie. Um, I think Levy, no, he wasn't. Yeah, so Levy wasn't in that. He didn't. He didn't play in that. Levy and I, Yeah, Levy Steve told charity me hockey. that.
0: Steve Levy sees a legitimately great goalie.
2: Greatest charity hockey was Levy and I were at Madison Square Garden, and it was sold out. And it was, it was John McEnroe with the was the referee, and and Tim Robbins was my defense partner, and <laughs> Susan Sarandon was my coach, and. Boomer Esiason was in the corner knocking me up. But then for me, I mean, there were all these famous actors, Heidi Klum and uh, 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 Kim Alexis and all these, these famous people were on the ice, Rick Moranis. But then I was playing with Pat LaFontaine, which I'm sure your cinephile might not know. But Pat LaFontaine was my center. And uh, he's, he's this great, uh, great uh, American hockey player, uh, played for the Buffalo Sabres and the New York Islanders. And, and he... Uh, it was, it was just a dream. And it was Madison Square Gardens, played with Levy there. And then, yeah, later on it was in Hartford. Uh, so where you guys are located, just down a, outside of Bristol. Um, I, that's where I met Levy. I saw him last, I think. Um, was, uh, there was a, a Hartford alumni game, Bruins versus the Whalers. And, uh, the, the, oh, the, uh, the Hanson brothers were there and they beat me up in the corner. Uh, that was fun. Um, Yeah,
1: just good times.
0: Tremendous. Michael Buick, he's got stories for days. I love it, man. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, at Michael Buick, B-U-I-E. We look forward to all the work, man. Congrats on Bombshell. Congrats on being a part of Best Ensemble, nominated by the Sags. And go Kitchener Rangers. Uh, Go Leafs go. A Canadian who's done well in L.A. Thank you so
2: much, Ed, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Rushmore. Uh, now it's time for our Mount Rushmore of whodunits. Lots of great options here. This is honor of Knives Out, so we'll put together our four. I think Chinatown's an absolute no-brainer. My mother, my daughter, my mother, my daughter. Nicholson just slapping Faye Dunaway. A tough scene to watch, but God, it's a great, great film. Script by Robert Towne, directed by Rowan Polanski. That's a no-brainer. I feel like you should include Clue when you're talking about the great Who whodunners. But what the hell? I'm going to avoid Clue right now. I'm going to go with Memento. Yes, Lenny, who killed his wife. Brilliant, brilliant film by Christopher Nolan. Might be his best movie. It's so smart and so uh, intricate and so well put together. The usual suspects to me is amazing. Again, who's verbal kent? Kaiser Sose. I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Sose. That's going to get them there as well. So there's three. And then one more for whodunits. You know, this is a tough one because I want to go between the big sleep or seven, rear window, primal fear. I'm going to go with the Maltese Falcon. You can't beat Bogart in a fedora and Sidney Greenstreet as the fat man. <laughs> the fact that he's known as the fat man, Gutman. I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. Peter Laurie as well, tremendous movie. Those are my Mount Rushmore of whodunits. So I've got The Usual Suspects, I've got The Maltese Falcon, I've got Chinatown, and I've got Memento. I feel like no matter what, Joe, you're going to get Murder on the Orient Express in there.
1: I am. That's going to be my first one, Murder on the Orient Express. Not the remake, the original from 1974. Uh, you left off Clue, I'm going to throw it on, mainly because they have three different endings at the end. And then I'm going to throw on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I love that movie when that came out. That's
0: awesome. Christopher Lloyd is the bad guy. I mean, Bob Hoskins is tremendous. I mean, you look at it now, that movie was exhausting. Robert Zemeckis said it took like years off his life with the animation and all
1: that, but it is a great movie, and it holds up especially when you have Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny working together. I mean, those two <laughs> those two divas in a room, let me tell you. And then my yeah, last town is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then my last one, I've actually recommended this on Cinephile before. Uh, it's called The Name of the Roads. and it's with Sean Connery and a young young Christian Slater. They play monks in 1327 who go to an abbey to investigate some mysterious deaths but from some monks there, and they have to figure out who the killer is. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it before. Wow,
0: that's great! All huh? right, good choices here for the Mount Rushmore of Who Done Definitely off the beaten path. Total Recall. All right, now it's time for Total Recall, a segment I think a lot of people are enjoying here as we revisit Oscars from the past. Kick it off with the 2008 Oscars. So those are films from 2007. Joe, the nominees, please the envelope, if you will, Best Picture.
1: Best Picture. We have No Country for Old Men, Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood.
0: I'm gonna say lots of great films. I'm going to go with There Will Be Blood. I think it's one of the best movies of this century. Absolute landmark epic about oil and greed and men behaving badly. Towering performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, just a dark script by P.T. Anderson, but obviously a lot of comic moments as well. The whole I drink your milkshake exchange. Um, the cinematography is incredible. Robert Ellsworth, I believe he won the Oscar for cinematography. Great, great movie. I'm going Best Picture, There Will Be Blood, although No Country for Old Men. Call it Frendo, Pretty good.
1: Yeah, I it, it is tough. I can see why the Academy was so split this year, but I will have to stick with No Country for Old Men, the Coen mm. brothers.
0: All right, best director, what do we got?
1: We have Joel and Ethan Coen for No Country for Old Men, Julian Schnabel, The Driving Bell and the Butterfly, Jason Reitman, Juno, Tony Gilroy, Michael Clayton, and Paul Thomas Anderson, P.T. Anderson, There Will Be Blood.
0: You know, the Cones, this is their only Oscar win for Best Director. But again, I would go with P.T. Anderson, who has never won for Best Director. I, I would have just gotten – I mean, listen, i got to revisit everything here. They should have won for Fargo, so I'll have to go back and do the 96 Oscars another time and get them that Oscar there because they deserve one, for God's sakes, for directing. But I would go with P.T. Anderson, just the visual landscape he puts together. I mean, those oil wells, uh the, the scene where the oil first splurges and you just see – Daniel Day-Lewis racing there, the look on his face. I mean, just the, the vision to create a film like that. The first two minutes of just a guy digging. I mean, just the chutzpah, the P.T. Anderson, the way he directed this film. It, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's him.
1: I agree with you. It has to be P.T. Anderson, especially if I'm giving No Country for Old Men Best Picture, Best Director has to go to There Will Be Blood.
0: I like it, mixing it up a little bit. How about Best Actor?
1: We have Daniel Day-Lewis, There Will Be Blood, George Clooney, Michael Clayton, Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd, Tommy Lee Jones in the Valley of Vila, and Vigo Mortensen, Eastern, Promises.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good category. Um, uh, that, that's, I mean, listen, Daniel Day-Lewis to me is the winner just because <laughs> you know, some of this dialogue just... I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. I mean, he's just, he's the ultimate, I mean, he's the ultimate misanthrope. I've abandoned my love. boy. <laughs> exactly. I abandoned my
1: child. Yeah. <laughs> those scene's amazing.
0: I, and you can't imagine anybody else as Daniel lewis I mean, I know that he gets such an Oscar, darling. You want to spread the wealth a bit, but to me, it's a no brainer. Clooney was great as Michael Clayton, and particularly that last scene. Do I look like I'm negotiating? I mean, that's a great sequence. He has with Tilda Swinton. I don't remember Sweeney Todd too much. Um And Vigo, Eastern Promise, is excellent as the ganker. Nikolai Lucian. I do want to mention, though, Tommy Lee Jones, if you haven't seen in The Valley of Ella, I mean, often I'm thinking, or is it Ella or Ella? I can't remember. But if you think of movies that are, like, underrated, people like Demonia Sleepers, to me, that's a really great war film. And it's a really powerful drama. Paul Haggis, uh, who, of course, won the Oscar for Crash, great Canadian. He is the one who wrote Million Dollar Baby. He wrote and directed in The Valley of Ella. And I just think it's a wonderful story. But a father searching for the truth, what happened to his son, good war film. The ending is very powerful and Tommy Lee Jones is amazing in that movie. It really is. If I had to rank them, I'd probably go Daniel Day-Lewis 1, Tommy Lee Jones 2 and then I'd go with Vigo 3, George Clooney 4, Johnny Depp 5. That's how much I love Tommy Lee Jones in that movie but Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Joe, is a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I just don't even think that there will be blood would have had the same impact if Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't playing that character. So I, I you got to go with Daniel Day-Lewis. Alright, best actress next. We have Marion Cotillard for La Vie en La Rose. Uh, <laughs> Kate Blanchette, Elizabeth, The Golden Age. Julie Christie, Away From Her. Laura Linney, The Savages. And Ellen Page, Juno.
0: All good nominees. Listen, Juno is a funny movie. Ellen Page, great Canadian. Uh, she's an excellent movie. It was quirky and cute and uh, well-directed by Jason Reitman. Great script by uh, Diablo Cody. I love The Savages because uh, the chemistry of Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman. So I wouldn't have had no issue if she'd won. She's always been excellent. Laura Linney always brings it. Um I never saw Elizabeth. co is amazing. I remember my wife called it. We watched it. She was like, oh, she's going to win an Oscar. I was like, Oh, there's no way French film. But yeah, she won. Like, she's got some heartbreaking scenes. There's yeah, Edith Piaf. I would have gone with Julie Christie uh, for Away From Her. She's playing a woman uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. Really beautifully rendered story. Her and Gordon Pinson as the couple. I thought she was marvelous in the film. I would have voted for Julie Christie as best actress.
1: I haven't seen too many of these movies. I won't lie with you. Uh, so I'll say Ellen Page. Ellen Page. <laughs> okay.
0: For Big Juno guy. Yeah, right. big
1: Juno guy. Yeah. All right. Supporting actor. We have Javier Bardem, No Country for Old Men. Casey Affleck, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Charlie Wilson's War. Hall Holbrook in Into the Wild, and Tom Wilkinson to Michael Clayton.
0: Well, I forgot some of these nominees. I mean, I think Bardem's a no-brainer. He was amazing as Anton Chigurh, one of the great villains. But I did love Philip Seymour Hoffman as Gust. I mean, that first movie, he just, he gets a sledgehammer, he just bashes the window. It was amazing. I mean, you talk about a pretty average movie, Charlie Wilson's War, with that kind of talent. Hanks and Julia Roberts, I mean, it was fairly, you know, mediocre, but... but PSH was awesome, so I always want to give him an Oscar, but I think it's Bardem, no-brainer. The rest of those guys are fine. I remember Wilkinson was pretty good. Affleck, terrible title. It was way too damn long, but yeah, he was all right. Bardem, though, no-brainer.
1: Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you on that. There's no-brainer here, and that's Bardem. Supporting actress. We have Tilda Swinton, Michael Clayton, Kate Blanchett, I'm Not There, Ruby D, American Gangster, Cersei Ronan, Atonement, and Amy Ryan, Gone Baby Gone. Amy
0: Ryan, Gone Baby Gone, was pretty good, man. She's nails. I might have given it to her. Although I do love Saoirse Ronan in Atonement. Saoirse would obviously have her moments later on. Atonement's got this one great tracking shot, which is just amazing. I still think about it. I would go with Amy Ryan, Gone Baby Gone for Dan Stanzik. You?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton, but I'm looking at this list, and Cate Blanchett was nominated for Best Actress for Elizabeth that year and Best Supporting Actress for I'm Not There, and she didn't get either award.
0: Yeah, that sucks. I mean, Pacino got nominated for lead and supporting in 92 and ended up winning for lead for Son of a Woman. I think Scarjo, Scarlet Scarlett Johansson could get nominated this year for lead and supporting. But that's that's when you go for two, that's a rough one. Best original screenplay.
1: We have Juno Diablo Cody, Lars and the Real Girl, Nancy Oliver, Michael Clayton by Tony Gilroy, Ratatouille, Brad Bird and the Savages Tamara Jenkins.
0: Yeah, but Cody, I mean, it was a really good script. I mean, you know, teenage pregnancy and dealing with a lot of things and funny and smart. Lars and the Real Girl, very creative. I think Ryan Gosling was excellent in the movie. I would probably go with The Savages. I, I love that movie. Tamara Jenkins, and she's a really good writer-director. I thought it was a good story about, you know, a brother and sister, Philip seymour Hoffman, and Laura Linney, dealing with an aging father, what to do with him. You know, it's very hard today, baby boomers. What do you do with family dynamics such and such i thought savages was an excellent script i would have voted for that Tamar jenkins i know your pick would have been brad bird and ratatouille
1: <laughs> i love that movie a lot i do i do but no i'm gonna go with lars and the real girl by Nancy oliver i love that movie oh, nice. it's quirky it's it's so relatable in the weirdest way and i love movies that take place in the winter so i'm gonna go with lars and the real girl
0: yeah gossip with imaginary friend i mean definitely quirky and strange but it was uh Idiosyncratic to say the least best adapted screenplay.
1: No Country for Old Men, the Coen Brothers. Atonement, Christopher Hampton. Away from her, Sarah Polly. The Driving Bell and the Butterfly, Ronald Harwood. And There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson.
0: Diving Bell and the Butterfly is pretty good, man. It's about a, it's about a quadriplegic. And I mean, it's an awfully sad film. It's really well directed by Julian Schnabel. And, uh, you know, it's 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 just a really sad, sad film. So I think that it was a, definitely a tough book to adapt. I already gave P.T. Anderson best director. I would give him a screenplay as well, but you know what? Here's where I'll mix it up. I will give it to the Coen brothers because I've read No Country for Old Men. The book is really good, but it was an excellent adaptation while still having the Coen brothers quirks. So to me, this is an absolute win for, for Joel and Ethan
1: Cohn. I agree with you. I got to give it to the Coen brothers for No Country for Old Men.
0: All right, Total Recall, 2008 Oscars. As always, you can tweet us, Adnan S. Fork individually or Pod. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll have one more pod out next week. That's right, we're no hiatus here, okay? We'll get out a Christmas Day pod next week. We'll have reviews of lots of films, including 1917, Little Women, and Honey Boy. Thank you so much to uh, our guest, Michael Bowie. Joe is always crushing it. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.